Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I am your host, Rafal Matuszewski, and I got another awesome guest for you guys. His name is Tony Gentlecore. Say hello. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, what's up, Rafal? And I, I can't tell you how excited I am that I actually I get to swear on a podcast. <laughs> I mean, I try to act all professional and you know sound like I know what I'm talking about when I do these other podcasts, which you know it's. You know, swearing doesn't mean that I don't know what I'm talking about, but, you know, it's part of my nature to swear, so I'm excited. There you go. <laughs> uh, so let's start off with uh, telling the audience who you are, what you do, and how you got into the industry. Yeah, so my name is Tony Janacore. I've been in the industry since 2002, uh, so I've been around for a little while, and I'm originally from uh, a small town in central New York. Uh, it's called Groton. I, I doubt anyone listening will know where that is. And um, I got in this industry uh, be, from a young age. So growing up in my small town, I, I played every sport imaginable. I think the, there's a common theme amongst fitness professionals where uh, they played a lot of sports growing up. And that just kind of, there was like a natural progression while into the weight room. And then, that, then there's a principle. Well, now I can coach people in the weight room. So uh, I followed suit with that. I was lucky enough to play uh, baseball at a high level. I played collegiate baseball and, um, pr the pros didn't come calling. I had, I had some pro tryouts, but nothing, nothing panned out, unfortunately. So I finished my degree at Cortland state, which is again, near my hometown in New York. And it was either become a health teacher and wear a suit and tie every day or, um, you know, follow my concentration, which was health wellness promotion and, uh, work in a gym and wear sweatpants every day. So, uh, it was an easy choice. Yeah, <laughs> and, sweatpants are pretty um, sweet. <laughs> yeah, oh my god, it's like one of the, it's such a it's such a benefit. I get to wear sweatpants and t-shirts to work every day. Yeah, and um, but I worked as a personal trainer in in a commercial gym setting and in a corporate fitness setting for the first five years of my career. Three of which, or four of which, were in New York. Uh, actually, no, three of which were in New York, and two of which were in um, Connecticut and Massachusetts. And um, I, uh, I moved to Connecticut originally um, via Eric Cressy. Um, so he and I hooked up pretty early in our careers and were roommates for two years and moved to Boston. And um, we ended up opening up Cressy Sports Performance in 2007 along with Pete Dupuy. Uh, and I was there for eight years from 2007 till uh, this past fall in 2015. And um, you know, pretty proud of what we were accomplished with that facility. Like it's a world renowned facility, uh, you know, trains a ton of baseball players. You'd be hard pressed to like name a baseball training facility and not have that name come up. And, um, and yeah, in 2015 in the fall, I, uh, had a few opportunities come up in, within Boston and now I'm kind of doing my own thing in a small studio space in Boston and training people out of there in a semi-private format and also, uh, doing a fair bit of writing via my website and various sites that I write for and traveling for speaking engagements. And, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a pretty cool setup. So, uh, nice. you know, I, I coach people. Um, I'm, I'm definitely not one of those guys that writes about how to coach people and how to train people and then not coach people in real life. Um, I still feel that that's pretty important, but I'm certainly at a point in my career where I don't have to be coaching, 40 50 hours a week which is nice yeah you know so i'm at a point now where i'm coaching around 15 to 20 hours per week which is great and then it just allows me a lot of opportunity to pursue my writing and you know uh make the website you know be able to continue to build that and then being very honored to get invited to speak you know around the country and the world to on strength and conditioning and fitness which is always a, a huge honor on my end so i i feel very fortunate Sweet. Awesome. Um, for the next question, I was just going to ask you, what's your kind of philosophy when it comes to nutrition and fat loss? Yeah, I just tell people to lift heavy shit and everything <laughs> else to take care of itself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I say that I'm kind of serious, but obviously I'm not. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, getting people into the mindset of like gravitating more towards performance-based goals. And that's not to downplay the aesthetic goals that some people have. And certainly there have been numerous cases within my career where somebody comes in and they are overweight or morbidly obese and they just, they need to lose weight. And it isn't just about losing fat. It's like they need to lose weight. Um, and of course I'm not taking the, the hard edged 
strength coach mentality with them. It's like, we just need to get you moving, um, you know, after a, a thorough assessment and then, you know, and we, yeah, get you moving. We can, we can work on doing carries and hinging and squatting and stuff like that. But, um, but yes, but in, in the grand scheme of things, it, it, it's kind of a, a funny thing that happens if I get, especially with my female clients, uh, getting them to, you know, a, a great example is like, I want to get them to do a, a strict body weight chin up. Um, you know, it, the amount of work and effort and time and sweat and just balls to the wall training that's going to, that's going to, or maybe I should say uteri to the wall training, um, <laughs> is that it takes to get to that goal. A lot of cool things are going to happen as far, as far as like, you know, their shoulders popping in a dress and their butt looking good in a pair of jeans. And, you know, they're not so dead set on what the scale is telling them, what the mirror is telling them. It's just, it's just, it's just, they kind of focus on the, the goal at hand and it might take them a couple months. It might take them six months. It might take them a year. But while that whole process is going on, of course, I'm working with them to hone some nutritional strategies or um, more, more so behavioral stuff. Because I, I have found in my career that, especially with the nutrition side of things, it's rarely ever an education thing for most people. I think most people know that going home and eating a pint of Ben and Jerry's before, before bed isn't a great nutritional choice. Uh, you know, that's, that's obvious. I don't think pe- people understand that. Um, but it's, a, it's something, there's a roadblock in the way. There's some, there's some have or, or fail of, of um, forming a specific habit or there's some kind of mental roadblock that's getting in the way of like they're, they're making that choice instead of something that's going to get them towards what their goal is. So um, it's kind of working with them on that. You know, I'm not, I'm definitely not one of those coaches that's like, you need to omit all these carbs and all these fats or any specific food group, or you need to stop eating this. Like this food is bad. Um, Cause at the end of the day, uh, the, the most successful diet and the most successful training program is one that they're actually going to do and one that they're actually going to stick with long term. And to me, it's the long game where, where people are going to win. It's not so much doing some, some quick fix four week detox diet or, you know, like condensed training program. It's like, I want them in it for the long haul. Um, and if I can get them to, to marry themselves to that idea that it's, it's really about, the, the process and not necessarily the outcome, um, I find that good things are going to happen. Um, you know, and, and going back to the nutrition thing, uh, a, a simple analogy, you know, as far as it not being an educational thing, but it's more of like a behavior change thing. So I, there's a lot of trainers out there who have clients who, from the time they leave work to driving home, they pass a million and one different fast food chain restaurants and the, inevitably they're going to go to Wendy's or they're going to go to Burger King or they're going to go to McDonald's. So rather than chastising them as being, you're stupid, you shouldn't be doing that. You got to, you got to kind of start educating them to start making better choices. So maybe it's one of those things where it's like, Hey, instead of taking the left to McDonald's, how about we take a, a right uh, and go to Chipotle where you can, you can buy a, um, you know, a Mexican plate where it's just vegetables and meat, um, you know, and, and try to get them to start forming that habit. Or, or, or maybe it's just something as simple as getting them to eat, hey, I want your goal now for this week to eat one vegetable a day for, for a week. You know, so you're not telling them to eat eight cups of vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just like, let's start with one. Make that a habit, and then week, and then month two, we can start adding this, and month three, we can start adding that. Um, that's that's generally my approach. It's the long game, so I'm not I'm not throwing out 18 different things in them all at once. It's like let's work on one thing in the weight room. Let's work on one thing at home that you can do, whether it's you know buying cooking ware that you can actually cook food in. Um, that that it, it, it sounds. I mean, people laugh at that, but yeah. that is a big reason why a lot of people end up eating out a lot is they don't have cookware at home so you know if they have the utensils at home to use to actually cook meals then the likelihood they'll actually use them 
might be a little bit higher. So it's just stuff like that that I that I kind of gravitate towards. And you know, I'm lucky enough, and I have a pretty good network of other professionals of nutritionists like Georgie Fear or Brian St. Pierre or the Precision Nutrition Crew, um, even even some uh, registered dietitians here in Boston that I can refer people to. Because, I mean, the nutrition part isn't necessarily my strong suit. Like, I, I know enough to kind of work with people as far as, like, building up habits and strategies and maybe making better choices that will get them towards their goals. But... Um, I, I always refer people out to, to the aforementioned people just because I feel like they that's their expertise and, that and they give out great information. Definitely. I think like like you said, like the small little changes over time will yeah. add up really quick. But a lot of people, like if you give them like a 30-day diet challenge. It doesn't work. It's a yeah. Band-Aid, right? Yeah. It's like, and, and inevitably what ends up happening is like, yeah, they'll lose weight um, and maybe a little bit of fat too. But – they don't, they're not doing anything to solve the problem. They're just, they're doing, cause people want to be told what to eat. Like, give me, give, okay, just tell me what I need at breakfast, what I need to eat for lunch. Give me the macros, give me the food choices. You tell them what to eat and, and maybe they'll do it. Um, but they'll get, they'll, they might get results for the 30 days, but you're not, you're not educating them. You're not making them autonomous. Like, and then they're just going to revert back to the same old habits. So, um, our job as coaches, it behooves us to take the time to, whether it's yourself or with a team of other coaches that you work with or, you know, pointing them in the direction of good articles or resources that you know, but it's just getting people in the mindset of, let's work on one or two things at once, make that a habit, make that a thing. And then the following month we'll add this and, or it might be drinking more water or taking some fish oil or, you know, eating, adding a healthy fat to their diet or, you know, whatever, taking them to the grocery store and actually teaching them how to, to shop properly. Um, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a million and one different strategies to use, but I can't emphasize enough, like how important it is to take, take the slow route, like you know, slow and steady wins the race. It's a very cliched thing to say. Um, but I find it works very well. Cause I mean, I want, I want my clients to be autonomous. I want them to make it, I want to make it so they don't need me after, X amount of time, like you know, they're they're good. But a funny thing happens is they they do end up staying, you know, because yeah. because they're, they're 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 they have somebody they have a coach that's watching them, make sure their technique is on point, and then keep them on task. But um, yeah, it, the the quick and the quick and easy stuff, as you know, they, it very rarely works. Yeah, it's almost like more like psychologically like pleasing that's, that you know, oh, I'm just gonna get you to do one thing, and they're like, oh, okay, well, yeah. You got to make it manageable, bite-sized yeah. chunks, right? It's the same thing when I'm coaching somebody. If I'm coaching a deadlift, if I'm coaching a squat, if I'm throwing out five, six different cues at once, it becomes overwhelming. And they feel like they're a failure. Like, oh, my God, this guy's like, correcting me nonstop. I must be a nightmare. I'm not doing anything right. Yeah. Um, you know, but if I focus on one thing at a time, like after they do a set, I'll say, hey, that, here's what you did right. Like I always emphasize by showing what they're doing right or what I like, what I see. And that can go for the nutrition stuff too. Here's what you're doing well. This is what I like what you're doing. Here's what I want you to do on this set. You know, get your chest up a little bit more. Get some, get more, get more, get your lats engaged a little bit more. Like whatever the cue is. And it's just that one thing. And then they don't feel so overwhelmed, you know. And I, I'm not expecting perfection on day one, whether it is the strength and conditioning component or if it's the nutrition component, um, you know, that, that's, that's a roadblock too. That, that, that's a clusterfuck right there as far as people getting, it, getting that negative self-talk. Is like they, if they're, they're not perfect from day one, then it's a, then, okay, fuck it. I'm, I'm just going to revert back to what I, what I always do. Um, so, again, that's another thing that, um, that needs to happen too. It's just it, you, you can't expect perfection on day one. It, it is a slow process. Definitely. Now, going back to your comment of lifting heavy shit, like you have a point there because I've seen even like when I train my clients, like particularly women, if they can do a couple sets of body weight, like chin ups, I'm like, yeah. your back is like shredded to bits and you're freaking yeah. strong. And what, and what, the, the, what happened, it was, it was kind of like an aha moment for me a few years ago when I was still at Cressy Sports Performance is I, I was working with this woman. Um, and she wanted to get ready for her wedding, which of course is like, Hey, let's get sexy. Let's, you know, like, let, let's, let's go time. Let's do, we have, we have four months, let's do it. And I think it was like in week one, she was like, well, and she was kind of like, what are we going to do? Like, you know, and she, she re reads all the, you know, the, the magazines that are like 
uh, at CVS and in the in the any store, which you know, high rep, low weight, tricep kickbacks. Like, what type of cute exercises are we going to do? Like to like, and she pointed like at her tricep to make this less flabby, you know. And I was just like, we're going to deadlift, we're going to we're going to squat. I, I want you to be able to do a chin up. Like, I want that's our performance. Your 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 programming is going to reflect you us getting you to that goal. Like, give me sixty days. We're just gonna go. We're just gonna go after it, and and lo and behold, after sixty days, she hit it. And and what do you think she said? Like her her tricep looked amazing. Her delts were popping. You know, like her upper back looked great in a dress. And you know, we didn't really do anything a, 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 like quote unquote aesthetic training. And it's not to say that I didn't do other stuff. Of course, we did a lot of stuff. But it was just getting her to marry herself to that goal of, of a performance goal. And then really the aesthetic stuff just kind of take care, takes care of themselves. And the whole time, of course, I'm kind of re- reiterating to her, like, don't worry about the scale weight. It might not budge that much. You know, like, like, that's not the end all be all of progress. Um, and that takes a little bit of finagling, of course. But um, luckily, I'm, I'm married to a psychologist. So I, can, <laughs> I, I, I have some Jedi mind tricks that I can, that I can learn from her. So, um, but it, 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 it never fails, like, especially with my female clients. It's just getting them to just rein in on a, on a performance goal. And I don't care what that goal. It doesn't have to be the chin-up. That's just one that, I, that I, I find resonates with a lot of women because they, cause from a very, very young age, they're kind of programmed to think that, oh, you can't do a chin-up. Because, like, you know, I remember when I was in elementary and high school, the, the fitness standard tests where guys were, well, we're going to see how many chin-ups you can do. And for women, it was, we're going to see how long you can, you, it's the flex arm hang. So they're kind of like programmed at an early age to say, oh, boys do chin-ups, girls don't, um, you know, and it's it, it, it sad. And then, and then that, that leads into adulthood where, you know, a lot of times it's just that, that mental roadblock where they're scared to look silly hanging off, of a bar, hanging off of a chin-up bar and like people looking at them and pointing and making fun, which of course doesn't happen. But it's very, it's a very common scene that I've come across where they just don't want to look silly. So of course they just kind of like shove it to the side and they'll, they'll do their lat pull downs or their, their assisted or their machine assisted pull-outs, which are fine. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we can do to, uh, that doesn't entail doing an actual chin up that can build a chin up. There's a lot of ground based stuff we can do. You know, there's a lot of accommodating resistance stuff we can do. Um, but it's just building that confidence and, and showing them success from the get go. Like, here's what you can do. Let's do that and crush it, and then we'll, we'll progress it from there. We'll progress it from there. Um, and again, very much like we would with nutrition, it's just one step at a time. Yeah, like I really like using the deadlift with women because it's like easy every week if you're just adding just a little bit, and then eventually they get to the point where like, oh, I'm deadlifting my body yeah, weight, and I'm of like, course. yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, like they're and it's like a lot of times I have to point that out to them. I and I they'll they'll hit they'll hit like a. No, I had a I had a one of my female clients like a month ago. She hit a 210 pound deadlift. Nice, right? And this is in the beginning where she wasn't like deadlifting at all. So she hit 210 pounds and she put the bar down. She's like, "Oh, okay, that was kind of cool." And I'm like, "I like the fuck. Do you realize what you just did? Like, I had to like this is a big fucking deal. Like, yeah. like enjoy this. Like, you this is a weight that you could not budge like three months ago. Like, it was not budging off the ground, and you just crushed it for a rep or two." Right. And, um, and then it, it is, it does happen like that, that switch turns on and it's like, they get addicted to it. And that's when I feel like I get them, you know, where that, that's, that's the money right there is when, once that, once that, that, that switch is flipped. Um, so now the deadlift kind of bleeds over to a squat or then, okay, now we're going to hammer pushups for reps or now we're going to do whatever. It, it, it's amazing. Like strength, strength is a beautiful thing. So, um, you know, I, that, that is my go-to for pretty much everyone I train, male and female. Yeah, I like that when they catch on that, like, hey, I'm getting strong, and then they start asking you, so when do you think I could hit over 200? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, it's going to take some time, but we'll get there. Yeah. And then sometimes you got to pump the brakes. Like, okay, hold on, let's, let's, hit, let's hit 150 first, yeah. and then we, can, then, we can, then we can worry about 200. But, but yeah, it's, it's great. Like I, and that's just the role of a coach. It's like sometimes my job is to – I mean, I, I'm not trying to be the, I'm not like the super hyper go-getter, like, yay, coach. Like, I'm not, that isn't my style. 
Um, so no but, chest bumps to everybody. No, I mean, I mean, but there's a time and place for that. Like, it's not to say that I, I don't get jazzed up and like, you know, put on some TSO and like, let's do this. Um, but, um, but certainly my job as a coach is to like, kind of tell them what they're going to be doing. Like, Hey, no, this is what we're going to be training for. Like, of course I'm taking their input. Like I'm looking at their injury history. I'm looking at, uh, their ability level, like where they are now. Um, and then, then I'm, I'm obviously formulating a, a program that's going to, you know, be catered to them. But, you know, my job as a coach, I mean, there's times where I just hand the dumbbells to a, a female or my client say, you're lifting this. And they'll be like, oh my God, are you, are you crazy? And then, and then they do it, you know, and then they're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. I'm like, exactly. Like, you know, 15 pound dumbbells aren't, aren't doing shit. Like <laughs> I, I'll, I'll hand the 30 pound dumbbells to them. Like, here we go. Like now, now we're actually doing some work. So, um, so a lot of times my job as a coach is to help them realize that they can do stuff. Um, you know, but, but I, but that is the goal of me. Uh, uh, that is my job as well as making sure that I'm implementing the correct variations that, that are going to show them success. Like I'm not, I, I try my very best not to make it that they're, they're missing reps or they, they're, are, are using stuff that's too progressive. Uh, where they can't do it. Like my job, I, I want, I want to build success right from the, right from the get go. And, um, that, that we're just taking that momentum from month to month to month. Now, for those who don't know how to deadlift, how would you progress somebody from like, they've never done it before to yeah. going off the floor safely? Well, a lot of times is, is educating them. Cause a lot of times when you say deadlift, uh, and, and again, not to throw women under the boat here, but under the bus here, but a lot of times when I say deadlift to women, they're like, Oh no, I don't, I'm not, no, 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 no. Um, and, cause they, they, they look at like a, a barbell and they look, they see it with a lot of weight on there and they, and they, and they say, Oh, that's what I'm going to be doing. Are you crazy? Um, so a lot of times is educating them. Like, you know, really what we're, what we're saying is, is a hip hinge. So that that is a deadlift. So from square one, it might just be program or like grooving an appropriate hip hinge, like teaching them to dissociate lumbar movement from hip movement, and making sure they're getting the motion from their hips and not their lumbar spine. Make sure that they are keeping a good torso angle and they're keeping a neutral spine. Um, and that there and there's any number of drills we can do here. We can do the you know the wall hip hinge. You know I can have them hold a kettlebell behind themselves and hip hinge that way out of reach. I mean there's there are any number of, you know, pull throughs that, I mean, I've, I've written a numerous blog on this where it's just like remedial hip hinge patterning where we're just grooving that hip hinge and then we can graduate to where we add load. And, you know, a buddy of mine, Ben Bruno, who, who's a trainer out in, in uh, the West coast over in Hollywood, like he trains a lot of females out there um, and a lot of celebrities at that. And I remember when he first moved out there, he was in Boston, he moved out to Hollywood and we were having a conversation. He's like, yeah, it's really different out here. Like, you know, on the East coast and in Boston, especially when he was working at Mike Boyle's place, it's like, you know, it's performance. It's like, let's get strong. Let's get fast. Let's jump higher. You know, working with athletes is one element. But then when he went out West, it was like people were more in the aesthetics and not really concerned about getting strong. They just want to look good. Um, and he had this phenomenon where he started talking about deadlifts with some of his female clients in a barbell and they were like, Nope, not doing it. <laughs> but then a funny thing happened was he would then say, okay, well let's do a kettlebell deadlift or let's do a landmine deadlift. Um, and loading it fairly heavy and then like they're th- without blinking either. Like, yeah, let's awesome. Let's do that. It was just something weird about <laughs> the way they were interpreting like a barbell deadlift you know, and then a kettlebell deadlift was less intimidating. And even though he was loading it pretty heavy, um, you know, with, with a kettlebell or with a landmine, um, they were, they were crushing those, but then they, they would be, they would be against doing a, like a, what we would consider a traditional, like conventional deadlift with a barbell. So, um, even something like that. So maybe, yes, we our starting point for a lot of people with their deadlift is with a kettlebell you know, making sure that they're learning how to, you know, get that upper body tension, like squeezing the oranges in their armpits to get those lats firing, keeping a good torso angle, um, finishing with the glutes at the top, um, and hinging back down to the floor. Um, you know, and then if they do well with that, usually my starting point is a trap bar. I, I, I'm a really big fan of, uh, the trap bar deadlift. You know, even when I was at Cresty Sports Performance, I can't tell you how many pro baseball players would walk in. We'd start them with a trap bar. It's just a more, 
user-friendly way of grooving a hip hinge and, 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 and implementing uh, uh, the deadlift into, into someone's program. And then from there, we can progress it to a sumo stance or a conventional stance. Because really, when we talk about the deadlift, the, the conventional deadlift, the one that we say is the deadlift, is, is, can arguably be saved that that's the most advanced variation mm-hmm. of a deadlift as far as like where the bar is where the center of mass is like center of rotation like the bar you know the, the bar out in front of you you're for the, the the center of rotation is further away and um, that can be problematic for people's backs so if we start with a trap bar deadlift where they're actually inside the bar um and it's just, it's just like i said it's just a more user-friendly less intimidating way of introducing the deadlift um you know start there build some confidence and then we can then maybe we can revert to a barbell because and and I'm not even married to that because unless someone's a power lifter or they're an Olympic lifter, they don't have to be using a straight bar and they don't have to be pulling from the floor. Yeah, I so, really I really like the trap bar too because like when sometimes you get people to the straight bar and they're like flat back. Nope, that's yeah. still rounded. Flatter than that, yeah. it's yep. worse now. <laughs> yep. So I so you, I mean there's 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 clients I have now where they they're they're never going to do a straight bar deadlift. It's just not worth it. So we can get all the all the benefits we need from using a trap bar. Um, we can load that, and we can we can still get all the benefits of a deadlift, and um, and good things happen. So um, you know I'm not one of those coaches that's like you know everyone has to do this, everyone has to do that. It's only this way. Because there's even different ways with each individual that foot stance, width, you know, where the hips are, like everyone is different. So, um, you know, I, it's my job to ascertain that and to figure that out. But, um, but yeah, like I, I'm trap bars is my starting point for pretty much everyone. I really like Ben Bruno's posts, like especially the landmine deadlift. And he made a comment how, you know, the end of the barbell is actually smooth so the women won't get the giant calluses. Yeah. And I was like, holy crap, I did not think about that. I mean, and really, I mean, you're, that, that is, that's a way to trick them, yeah. right? Like, they, they're deadlifting. They're doing a deadlift. They're just, they're just not doing the, the, the variation that they've seen in Muscle and Fitness magazine with a big meathead guy, you know, yelling really loud and straining really loud. Like, they're doing a deadlift. Are, and they're absolutely crushing their posterior chain, which is what they want like hamstrings, glutes, like who, what woman doesn't want a nice posterior chain? What guy doesn't want a nice posterior chain? Right. So, um, it's little stuff like that where run with it. Like, I mean that (laughs) you can load a landmine deadlift pretty heavy. So, so I mean, they, like I said, not everyone has to be doing conventional sumo style deadlifts. Now, if you had to create like a fat loss specific program, like what exercises would you choose? How would you structure it and go from there? Yeah, um, you know, I, I mean, just to go a little bit off, not off topic, but off tangent, like one article that I really love on this topic is uh, Alan Cosgrove's Fat Loss Hierarchy. Yeah. Um, that to me is like, that's it. Like if you want to talk about anyone who's like the godfather of fat loss programming, um, it'd be guys like Alan Cosgrove, Craig Ballantyne, um, excuse me, um, so that, that's a fantastic article because, I mean, what does he always say? What, it, what is the number one and number two rule of fat loss programming? It's nutrition. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I mean it's, it's, again, it's a very cliche thing to say, but, you, you, of course, you're not going to out-train a, a shitty diet. So, you know, finding um, a, you know, a nutrition plan that works for you. Um, that you're going to stick to um, is is one that's going to work, and of course, you we we have to have a caloric deficit to in order to lose fat, um, you know, and you know that that and another thing too that 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 people have a hard time understanding is that if you are if you are in a fat loss phase or that your goal is to lose fat, like you're going to feel hungry at times, like you're going to be hungry, like and you have to accept that. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, you know, and that's a hard thing for a lot of people to understand is that there is a degree of hunger that is involved with that. Um, so again, yeah, the, the nutrition component can't be overstated. Like you have to some, some way or another in, implement some kind of caloric deficit. Um, and then, and then and nutrition is going to be the easiest way to do that, you know, because a lot of times what I'll, how I'll equate it to some people is like, let's say we're trying to look for a, a 500, just to make it simple, a 500 calorie deficit. You know, how long is it going to take you to burn 
500 calories in the weight room, whether it's lifting weights, whether it's doing the cardio or whatever, it's going to take them a while, like 45 minutes, an hour, depending on how hard they're working and what modality they're using. And then I was like, now take that and, and now equate this to nutrition where it's like, now, how are we going to, how are we going to implement a 500 calorie deficit? It would be like, literally, you're not going to have that bowl of cereal before you go to bed. Yeah. There, there's your caloric deficit. And then it's like, oh, wow, really? That's there. There you go. Like it's that it's that important. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, cause certain, so from a fat loss standpoint, I do feel like the, the, the big rock component is nutrition, but that's not to say that we can't expedite the process with our programming. So, and to me, like I feel I'm, I'm a strength guy. Like I, I like getting people strong. And even with someone who's doing a fat loss program, I still feel like there's a role of strength training in there. Cause I feel like one of the biggest mistakes that people make with the fat loss program is it's very high rep. It's very high volume. And that could spell disaster when we're, when we're implementing that, when we're instituting that with a caloric deficit, like you're going to feel like ass, yeah. like you're, you're already at the caloric deficit. And now you're saying like, okay, now we're going to, now we're going to increase volume and we're going to increase our reps to, to augment that. Like to me, that's, that's a recipe for, feeling like, like, like dog ass shit all the time. Um, so I would say, and we need, we need to give the body the stimulus to maintain and keep muscle. Cause especially if you're in a caloric deficit and then you're, now you're adding in high volume, high frequency, like you're going to, the likelihood that you're going to be breaking down a lot. I mean, don't get me wrong. You're going to lose some degree of some percentage of muscle in a fat loss diet. Like you're not going to lose 100% fat. It's impossible. But, um, to me, when it comes to a fat loss program, one of the keys is try to maintain as much muscle mass as possible. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to still include some element of strength training in there, whether it's like, you know, once a week working up to a heavy triple on a squat or a deadlift or a bench press, you know, it's just, it's just reminding the body, reminding the nervous system, like to keep this muscle, right? With lower rep training, higher with low rep, high weight, and then of course we can then we then we can add in our our, our supersetted circuits and our finishers and stuff like that. So um, to me, um, there's not a, a, a huge gap between a strength training routine and a fat loss routine. Like yes, there there, there might be some modalities where I'm I'm, I'm including more supersets and finishers at the end, but. Um, to me, the real change is going to be in the nutrition, you know, but, you know, but with, with fat loss programming, I still feel like a lot of people miss the mark and not still including some element of strength training in there where they're, where they're working up to some heavy triples, maybe a heavy single, just to, just to remind the body to maintain this muscle mass that you have. And then, and then, and then of course, using your, you know, whether it's a 10 minute finisher or, you know, just doing some metabolic work at the end, I, of course, that's going to be part of the, the, the process as well to help expedite things. But, um, that, that's kind of like my, um, addition or insight into fat loss programs. I still feel like there's a, there is a strength component and I've seen on numerous times where people who are training for a show or training for a competition or training for a photo shoot, they're able to, if not maintain their strength levels, improve upon them because they are still including that 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 um, that strength component. So it, it definitely is possible. Yeah, I think a lot of people also like fall victim to like if they're on a fat loss program, they feel like they need to like be dead by the end of the hour. Yeah, and I mean, and there, of course, there's a time and place for that. You know, that's not to say that um, that isn't part of the process. But to me, I'd rather than feel refreshed and like wanting more. Um, and then I, I think that just comes with proper periodization, whether, you know, whether, you know, we can go into that, that's a whole nother conversation as far as like block training or undulated or, you know, whatever conjugate concurrent. I mean, there's, there's a whole different thoughts processes there, but, um, I definitely run under the mindset. Like I'd rather my clients feel like at the end of a session that, you know, yeah, I worked. Like they could tell they worked, and it wasn't fun. But they're not—they're not like you know collapsing to the ground every single session. I mean, every now and then, sure, I'll be like, "Fuck it, we're gonna—I'm gonna destroy you today." Um, but uh, that's not—that is definitely not my goal. Session in and session out. Like I sometimes just a matter of getting some quality reps in. Um, 
just reminding the body, reminding the nervous system, reminding, reminding the body to keep that muscle. And then the, 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 the nutrition component is going to take care of, of the fat loss. I like uh, just dressing up like the fat loss programs for people with like the little finisher at the end. Yeah, they, exactly. Like, they're like, oh, okay, I worked, but it wasn't like I'm dying or anything. Yeah, you kind of trick them. So like in the beginning, like, you know, I like to start every session with the main movement of the day, like the main like big rock of the day. So I don't really look at like today, today's deadlift day. So they're going to work up to a heavy triple on whatever deadlift variation we're using. And then the, 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 the subsequent exercises basically complement the deadlift depending on where their technique kind of falters or where the weak points are. Um, that, uh, I'm, I'm addressing that because to me, like, I feel like your accessory movements need to have a rationale. And if it's squat day, deadlift day, bench bray, whatever, um, my objective for those accessory movements are going to be to address a technique flaw, um, address uh, a weak range of motion, um, and that's that's what those are for. And then at the end, at you know whether it's ten minutes, fifteen minutes, then it's like okay, now I'm now I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. you no, know, so we'll do a carry finisher paired with goblet squats and or battle ropes, or we'll do, we'll get on the airdyne bike and do intervals on there. So they're getting that metabolic, they're getting their heart rate off, they're getting that metabolic component. Um, and they feel like they, they did some, some hard work at the end. And really that's kind of like the difference between, you know, a strength training program and like one that's more for aesthetic base or fat loss. It's just like, you know, doing a superset at the end or a little quick finisher at the end. Um, like I said, for me personally, there's not like a, a, a major, like huge gap between how I'm programming between the two goals. So there are, there are more similarities and there are differences with, with that. Yeah, I think it's also just like specific exercises. Like for me, I love the sled for a finisher. And Absolutely. Like if you load that thing and you just go out and back, you're like, holy crap. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 you, and you can prove a point to people because a lot, I mean, again, there, that's another conversation where people think that, you know, the only way to get a cardiovascular benefit is being on a treadmill, being on the elliptical, being on the step mill, which is fine. Like I'm not, I'm not against that. But, you know, you had them push a sled a heavy sled for, you know, 40 yards and say, Hey, is your heart rate up? Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> like, yeah. like you're getting, you're getting some cardio component there. Um, well, you're getting your heart rate up. I'm going to say it's cardio because cardio is more of a sustained heart rate, but, um, they're, they're getting a metabolic component there. Now, how much do you think stress and sleep play a factor in fat loss? I think it's huge. I think yeah. sleep, like to me, like, I think before people start talking about supplements and, you know, fat burners and anything like that, um, I would say, well, let's talk about your nutrition. Let's break that down. Like, what are you eating for lunch? What are, what, what are, you, are you bringing meals with you to work? Like, I mean, I, I can work with them with that. Like, I feel comfortable doing that stuff. Um, but if they want something a little bit more detailed or, or they have a, a dietary issue, whether it's a, some kind of intolerance, whether it's gluten or they're allergic to something, whatever, then, of course, I'm saying, hey, go, go, to, go to the registered dietitian. Um, but um, but sleep, sleep is huge. Like, it's so underrated. People, don't, people just, like, we take it for granted that, you know, yeah, if you're, if you're averaging, if you're only getting four to five hours of sleep a night, like, you're, you're, you're not doing yourself any 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 good service there. Um, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've worked with pro athletes and they, they feel like ass or if the fat loss clients like, Hey, what time do you go to bed at night? They're like, Oh, one o'clock, one thirty, <laughs> And I'm like, go to fucking bed. Yeah. Like that you're, that's your recovery time. That's, that's, that's the time that your body, that's the time when your body's recovering and growing. Like you're actually breaking down tissue when you're training, like you're not building anything when you're training, you're breaking it down. Right. So where you're actually growing and recovering and building is when you're going to bed. So, um, I mean, and I'm not, I'm not forcing people to say, hey, you got to get 10 hours of sleep or, you know, but I, I honestly like minimum seven, like I feel like most people, if you're not getting at least six, seven hours of sleep, maybe eight, if you're lucky without kids. Um, I think that, it, yeah, sleep is huge. And I think, you know, whether it was Eric or, or, or whoever else was saying like the, the, your quality of sleep before midnight, as far as the hours you're getting, are so, like you could be getting six hours of sleep, but if you're going to bed at 10 p.m. and then waking up at six, say, say that's eight hours, that's better than if you went to bed at, at one o'clock and got up at nine. Yeah. Like as far as the quality of sleep, like I mean, I, I, off the top of my head, I can't I can't remember the article or any research that backs that up, but there's something to be said about the quality of your hours of sleep before midnight. 
and then after as far as circadian rhythms and hormone levels and, and anything of that nature. So, um, yeah, I'm a big fan of sleep, long story short, <laughs> and telling people to go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, like, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, you wrote a blog about getting a f- uh, food allergy test or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, what yeah, was your experience with that, and how long have you been off chicken, and how is it going? <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, so so just to clarify, it was a, it was a food intolerance test. Okay. It, wasn't, it wasn't a food allergy test. Okay. And it, was, it was the pinner test. So... I was introduced to the Pinner test um, back in December. My wife took it, so I, off the off the recommendation uh, of, a, of, a, of a good friend of mine who's a coach and he's a he's a precision nutrition guy. Um, you know, he had always had um, digestive issues and gut issues, and um, all through like his teenage years, through his adulthood, and he's always had issues. So. Um, you know, food elimination, he did all that. So he ended up taking the Pinner test, um, come to find out that he had a food intolerance to vanilla, mm-hmm. um, which is a very innocuous, like, what the fuck, vanilla? Yeah. You know I mean? um, and and, and he, not that he was, like, like putting – he wasn't eating vanilla in his diet, but what he was doing was having vanilla protein powder, um, which is like, holy shit, like that. Okay, so he, he then he took out vanilla protein powder and immediately started feeling better, seeing results, um, you know, and he became a, a big advocate of, of uh, that test um, and advocating a lot of his clients to take it. And, and I understand it's a very controversial um, thing. Like there, there's research that goes against it. There's research that, that justifies it. And I, I like to think of myself as somewhere in the middle. Like I'm, I, I respect evidence-based research and evidence-based practices, but it's hard for me to, to deny a mountain of anecdotal, um, experiences as well. And, uh, you know, and I, I've, I've, I've d- discussed this with several registered dietitians that I'm, that I respect and not, and strength coaches I respect and, and their clients see, getting good results from it or getting, at least getting good information. Cause at the end of the day, it's, it's just information. Yeah. So it's just information. What you do with it is completely on, uh, up to you. Um, and I, and again, and to reiterate, I understand that like the science is, it's there, but you know, do we really understand it? Like I get it. Um, but so anyways, my wife took it in December, um, found out that she had an intolerance to coffee, egg yolk, green peppers, um, and a few other things. Um, so, and, and her reaction to the coffee was fuck. Like <laughs> yeah. she is a coffee person. <laughs> so that was like the worst thing possible. And with the pinner test, there's, there's levels, there's level one, level two, level three, um, and three being the worst. Um, all of which are there, it is an intolerance and they always recommend that, you know, when you take the test that you, 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 you take three to six months and you, you, you omit it and you see what happens and then you slowly introduce it. And there, I mean, they can, they can explain it, explain it better than I can. But so my wife had a good experience with it. Like she saw that her skin cleared up, uh, her, her gut felt better. She wasn't having as much indigestion. Uh, hopefully, she doesn't mind me telling the world about this. But <laughs> she had indigestion, but uh, but she, so needless to say, she had a good experience, and she was wanting me to take it. And I was like, ah, whatever, like uh, whatever, like um, I'll take it at some point. Um, so fast forward to I think it was last month. Uh, the people at Pentatest reached out to me and they asked if I would like to take a complimentary test. So I was like, oh yeah, sure, great, and. Um, I was like, well, how about if I'm going to do it, I might as well just write about my experience taking it. And um, so, yeah, I took it and come to find out that I had a level two intolerance to chicken, of all things, which is like, that's like the epitome of like meathead diet. It's chicken and potatoes. (laughs) Uh, Also carrot. Um, and not that I eat a ton of carrots, but I fucking love carrot cake. <laughs> so, so I'm very sad about that. That was like my favorite dessert. Um, and then there were other things. Uh, what other ones came up? It was, uh, um, grapes and, uh, there was another one that I'm blanking at the moment. So, um, so yeah, I'm in week two of omitting chicken from my diet, um, as well as the other things. And I'm going to see what happens. Like, I'm going to give it three months, and then I'm going to kind of re-acquaint uh, myself with what I originally wrote and, like, what are my experiences with it after three months. And so, and you know, I feel lucky because, you know, I, I can't say that I ever 
uh, um, have a, a hankering for chicken. So, you know, taking it out isn't the end of the world. Like, it's just a matter of, like, now I'm just eating more pork chops. I'm eating more fish. I can crush red meat, so, which makes me very happy. Um, you know, so I'm still getting my protein, and I'm just, I'm just trying to, you know, I, I just omitted chicken, which, you know, doesn't make me too sad. But um, it's, just, it's, just, it's just very weird for me to say that because as a meathead, uh, you know, guys lift weights his whole life. Chicken is like the thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, and now I'm not eating it, but, uh, um, but yeah, so far it's, it's been, it's been, we'll see what happens. Like, again, I'm only two weeks in, so I can't say that, uh, I've seen like a huge difference, but, um, I definitely have a, a bout of, um, a dermatitis on my face. So I'm, I'm, and I've battled that for years. You know, I get like these red, uh, blotches and flaky skin on my face, which makes me really attractive. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to see if, you know, omitting these foods that came up as an intolerance with this test, if it, uh, um, if it helps with that. So, um, I'm, I'm going to be very curious to see what happens with that. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of like my experience with it. And, you know, I, and I, 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 I've, I feel personally that I've gotten some good information from it. So if at the, if at the end of three months I, I don't feel it, it did anything, then cool, whatever. But um, where, where I see this being of value is at least it helps expedite the process because this isn't to downplay the whole food diary and straight-up elimination diet because that absolutely works. Like, you know, I, I mean, people – write about it and they do it and they're very successful with it, but it's a long drawn out process at times. So where I feel there's value in taking something like a pinner test or any kind of food intolerance test is that it may help to kind of expedite the process. Um, and I never would have thought about chicken. Like, honestly, like who has, a, who, who would think about chicken? Who would think about carrot? Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, so it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see after the end of, of three months, like what, how I feel and, you know, whether or not I slowly introduce those foods back into my diet to some smaller degree. But, um, yeah, you know, that, 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 that's the, that's kind of like the, the, my experience with, with that. Yeah. I think those tests are good for just getting more information and mm -hmm. kind of like almost playing detective with your body. Like, okay, I'm going to take yeah. this one thing, see how I feel after. And if it works, it works. And you, you're better. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, at the end of the, uh, I mean, at the end of the three months, I mean, it, it's up to, I mean, because it, it's an expensive test, and you know, at the end of the, when you take it, if you know, you you, you get your results and you, you you do the three month elimination, and at the end of three months, if if you feel like it, it worked well and it, you know, like and great, and if not, then then you know it's, it's it's up to the person to realize whether or not it was like a, a pain in the ass to do it or, or not. But it, it's just information. So um, you know, I I feel like I got some value out of it. I know my wife did, and I know many other coaches that I respect a ton uh, have had clients who have taken it and um, you know gleaned some good information from it and and, and saw immediate results and, and certain digestive issues or skin issues or bloating um you know so it's it's pretty cool it's uh um it's unknown it's unknown territory not unknown i mean there there is some research and science behind it but you know i i know there's 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 kind of up in the airness with it so you know anecdotally i'm just trying to see what happens yeah like i have two friends in naturopathic school right now and the, one of them was telling me that for like kids with eczema if you actually just take out dairy for a while it'll actually clear up the skin mm -hmm. So it almost seems like it's like dairy and like gluten. Oh man, I was so happy to, know, to see that dairy wasn't on the list for me because I love cheese. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was very happy about that. And, uh, you know, my wife was like positive that I was going to come back like wheat and all that stuff was, and I, cause I, I eat bread, like I eat, I eat pretzels, like, um, you know, and, and, uh, and I also eat a lot of chicken, and of course, people. We've been so programmed to think that it's gluten, that it's wheat, that it's this, um, you know. And I, I, I necessarily, I'm not, a, I'm not an anti-gluten guy. Like I feel like that's been well overplayed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, but it, it was, it was very funny that it was chicken and carrot and grape and and like and potatoes of all things. I'm like potatoes is another thing. I was like, oh, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like, come on. But. Uh, 
um, yeah, we'll see what happens. And uh, I, I know there are a lot of people out there that, that definitely are fans of it. And I know there are people out there who aren't. Um, and it's not for me to say, uh, to tell people that they're, they're train of thoughts, but I'm giving it a try. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing what happens. So we'll, we'll hopefully, um, you know, I, it's so far so good on my end. Perfect. Now to finish off and wrap up, can you tell the audience like where they can find you online, what projects you're working on next, yeah. any speaking um, engagements and stuff like that? So home base for me is my own personal website. So it's my name. It's TonyGentleCore.com. Uh, and that is where I do all of my blogging, link to all my articles, social media is on there. So that, that's a pretty easy find right there. Um, as far as uh, any projects coming out, like Dean Somerset and I um, have done a, a, what we call the complete shoulder and hip blueprint. Um, we've done the 10 times, but we filmed it when, when we were over in Europe this past spring. And that's going to be re- released as a digital product in uh, hopefully within the next couple weeks. Nice. Uh, and we feel that that's going to be a very um, a valuable resource for personal trainers and coaches and even fitness enthusiasts that, you know, I basically take a day and talk about shoulders. I talk about shoulder assessment, shoulder corrective exercise, like what, what, what it means to help improve upward rotation what's the difference between external impingement, internal impingement, programming strategies around that. Um, and Dean takes a whole day and talks about the hip and, um, deadlift technique, squat technique, how you can kind of, you know, cater each, each lift to fit the, the anatomy of each individual that you assess. And um, so that's going to be coming out. And um, he and I are going to be speaking, actually doing our last live event in uh, Minneapolis this October. So we're doing the complete shoulder and hip workshop at Movement Minneapolis in uh, the weekend of October 15th. And then, um, yeah, and then leading into next year, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I, I have a baby on the way. So congrats, congrats. Uh, thank you. I don't, I don't know how much that's going to affect my, um, my ability to travel. Um, but certainly, it, it feels good to be in demand. Like, you know, this past year was amazing as far as, like, I, I, was, I spoke in Europe twice. You know, I spoke all around the country. So it feels pretty cool that people want to listen to me talk about what it, what it is that I talk about, whether it's, you know, talking about deadlifts for four hours or talking about assessment and program design. So I feel very fortunate that people want to listen to me and that they feel that I have good information that I put out there. So, um, yeah, that, that's hopefully that continues. So if anyone listening wants, wants me to travel and speak, like, please feel free to reach out. Perfect. All right. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to sit down and chat and it was yeah, awesome. Yeah, no, this is awesome. I think you're doing the, what, is this number like, what, 12, 13, something, somewhere around there? So, uh, yeah, um, around there. Yeah, like, I've been listening to him. You're doing an awesome job. I love it. Oh, thanks. I got a fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got one person listening to no, yeah. him. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> All right, guys, hopefully you enjoyed another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. Uh, hopefully Tony was able to shed some light on weight loss, fat loss, getting strong, and lifting heavy shit. Um, So again, if you have any questions, feel free to email me at rafael at empowerhp.ca. That's R-A-F-A-L. And check out the website. That's uh, still pretty new, cuttheshitgetfit.com. And please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Until next week, guys.